The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is our Season 2 Q&A, Righteousness, Justice, and Lost Causes. Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of The Wind Was a Beginning. This is our Season 2 Q&A. If you've been with us since the beginning, you remember we did this at the end of Season 1. And we're back for more fun at where I am going to ask the questions. My name is Justin, by the way. You probably already know that if you've been listening for a while. I'm going to ask the questions and Stephen is going to answer them the best that he can without giving too many spoilers, I hope. Uh, <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess that that does uh, bring us to the point where we'll just go ahead and say it. Listeners, you know, just a, a fair warning on this episode. There might be some things that some might consider to be spoilerish. Is that a word? Spoilerish. Um, yeah. You know, there. there there might be some things that you might not want to find out just yet. So if you want to pass by this episode, that's absolutely fine. We, we understand, but uh, I enjoy these episodes. Number one, because I don't have to work for these episodes. I just get <laughs> to sit here and, and listen. Uh, <laughs> uh, and number two, just the, um, uh, the wealth of knowledge that uh, you bring to, Uh, to these episodes, Stephen, how much that you do know about this series and the world that it's set in. Uh, I just enjoy getting to bask in that for a little while. So I'm looking forward to to what you're going to give us tonight. But how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Uh, You know, it's finally little by little edging towards fall we've got some football games going on we've got uh i'm sitting here at our kitchen table to record tonight and our table is covered in pumpkins (laughs) and other fall decorations uh so it's a it's a good week good night so how about you it was 95 degrees at my house today (laughs) <laughs> oh no! It, now, now let's we can talk about that for a second. So yesterday, today it didn't get over seventy eight. But yeah. yesterday, where I live, we set an all time record. Uh, we hit a hundred degrees yesterday. Wow! Uh, it is the highest uh, temperature ever reached in the month of September in my state in recorded history. Oh wow! Well, I'm I'm expecting those cooler temperatures tomorrow. Um, you usually yeah. just get it a, a little bit a day ahead of me, so uh, I am excited yeah. for those cooler temperatures. But yeah, it was it was a scorcher today, and uh, I'm yeah, with we, you. I'm I'm looking we forward. 
Go ahead. Looking forward to some of that cooler weather. I, I, I am. Say we I literally, am. Uh, we literally dropped twenty five degrees overnight. Wow. I'll take it. <laughs> I yeah. will take it any day of the week. <laughs> I was I was talking to someone the other day. Like if I could have my pick, I, I would keep it uh, like fall like temperatures year round. With, with two exceptions, at least one week in the summer so I could go on vacation. And <laughs> at Christmas, it would be cold. Like, it would be actually cold yeah. at Christmas. Um, so, but other than that, yeah. I'll, I'll take, you know, 60s, 70s, maybe even some 50s year round. See, I, and I'll be good. I like it. I, I would like to keep it where it gets in like the 40s at night. And 60s during the day. Sounds good to me. I'd be I'd be fine in that that yeah. spectrum right there. So that at, at night you can go have a bonfire. You can wear your jacket. Uh, now I will say they are forecasting, at least for us, they are forecasting one of the coldest Decembers on record this year. And they're thinking we may even get a white Christmas. Well, let's let's, so, let's go for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, look, y'all didn't come here to hear us talk about the weather, though, did you? Um, I didn't come, I didn't come here to talk about the weather. I came here to ask these questions and get some answers that I'm excited to, to hear the answers to. So Steven, are you ready to dive into it? You, you got your, your answers sure. ready? Yeah, All I think right. so. All right. Well, we're going to start. Um, this is one that I had very early on as we were reading the great hunt because at, at the very beginning of this book, we, you know, all throughout the eye of the world, we met one Aes Sedai, and that was Moraine. At the beginning of this one, of the Great Hunt, we meet several Aes Sedai. Yep. We start to learn a little bit more about the different Ajas, and, you know, we got a little bit of that in, in book one, but we got more of it here with... Uh, Leandrin, who we were introduced to as a red, um, Varen, who is, um, brown. Um, uh, there may be others that we were introduced to, but I, I thought it would be, um, maybe something, a, a good thing for us to do is just to have you explain the different Ajas that are within the Aes Sedai, specifically, how many are there? What colors are they? And what is kind of the the driving goal or philosophy of of each one? Sure. Uh, and I will say we did meet one other Aes Sedai in the first book as well. We met Elida. That's right. Way. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we met her for like what one scene. Yeah. Yeah. Mo most of so, it was spent but... with Moraine. We spent more time with oh, other yeah. Aes Sedai this uh this book too so oh yeah honestly we spent more time with other Aes Sedai than we did with Moraine uh in this book that's true uh book two the the primary Aes Sedai we spend time with in book two is Baron yeah yeah uh we she gets more page real estate than any of the other Aes Sedai in this book closely followed by Leandrin okay so. but uh yeah so okay there are seven Ajas. We haven't met people from all of them yet. 
Um, so heads up for anybody who really doesn't want any spoilers at all. There will be some spoilers here because this does technically cover some stuff that hasn't been reached yet in book one and two. You have been warned. <laughs> well, uh, before before so, we dive into that, let's let's say who we we've obviously we've met some blues. Yes, we've met some reds and yep. some browns. Correct. Have we met any others? Uh, we have met a green. That okay? Yes. Uh, very very early on. We have, yeah. Um, we have had reference made to some others. Oh, we have met one yellow. Okay. Uh, although we did not directly meet her, but she was referenced. She was one of the sisters that had been captured by the Shan Chan. At the end. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so outside of that, we have not met any of the other Ajas to my remembrance. All right. Um, so we've met blue, red, green, yellow, and brown. So that leaves so, two more. Correct. Uh, the two that we have not met are white and gray. Okay. Uh, so, that covers all our colors there. Blue, green, yellow, red, white, gray, brown. <laughs> and, of so. course, you know, there is an eighth that has been rumored yes. for a long time and finally, I think, gets 100% confirmed about the last third of book two. And yeah. that would be um, so, the black. Yeah. The black Aja, uh, the name that no Isodai would ever dare speak. The rumor of which is enough to get an accepted or a novice, you know, backhanded. Like it's, it right. is super taboo. Uh, even amongst the people in the tower, much less out amongst the public. Like the very idea of a black Aja is treasonous talk. Okay. So, uh, but we know better after what we've seen unfold. We yeah. know for a fact that it is Israel. Yeah. Um, and right, has so been for some time. <laughs> apparently, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so we've got seven... We know what their colors are, so, uh, you know, we know that each one kind of has a different, like a different mission or goal, so what would those, how would those play out for each one? Okay, uh, we'll just go kind of uh, Aja by Aja here, All right. give a little bit on each one, uh, so we'll I'm, start with... I'm going to shut up and let you take it. <laughs> okay, by, by all means, interject, if you have questions as I go, please feel free to ask. Uh, so we'll start with the red Aja. Um, it is the largest of all the Ajas. Um, it focuses primarily on uh, castigating and controlling uh, wrong or dangerous use of the one power. Now, specifically, what the red Aja mostly spends its time doing is hunting and either killing or bringing to trial men who can channel. However, part of their cause, also internally anyways, whether or not the other sisters would see it this way, they also take it upon themselves to try and seek out and squash uh, rogue female channeling as well. Okay. 
So, uh, basically, to a red, if you're not in the tower, you, sh- you don't have any business messing with the one power. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I'm going to really just kind of dumb it down here. So, they're kind of like the one power police. <laughs> they would actually probably really see themselves like that. Uh, okay. That's actually a really good way to put it. Uh, so they would be very much like disciplinarian. Uh, it's not that it's illegal for someone to channel who isn't a sister. Uh, specifically what they would try and look out for and put a stop to would be any like groups or societies trying to form outside the tower of female channelers. Okay. So like basically no like rogue new schools or something like that popping up. All right. Uh, or you know, if a woman channeler outside the tower did decide to start doing things that, uh, you know, working in dark ways or causing chaos, they would definitely put a stop to that just like they would with male channelers and those people who declare themselves the dragon reborn. Okay. Uh, so, they have a reputation as a bit of uh, man-haters uh, because of their role in seeking out and stopping male channelers. Um, they don't have a reputation for playing nice with others, <laughs> uh, even amongst the other tau- other Ajas. Okay, yeah. So. yeah. Uh, well, we do kind of see that there. I know... We get some mention early on. There's tension between the red and the blue. Like they yeah, don't the really get the along. Yeah, the red and the blue are are historically very, very much at odds. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's there's a lot of animosity between those two ajas. All right. No. Yeah. And they, the red aja is the largest um, by a pretty good bit. Um, they make up roughly one fifth of all Isodai. Interesting. I didn't. I wasn't. So, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Hmm. They're pretty, They're uh, a large Aja. Okay. So, uh, any other questions about the red? Uh, no, no. I just sitting here, hope, wanting to hear all you got to say. <laughs> uh, well, oh, one more interesting fact: uh, red sisters don't have borders. Uh, I, I'm no guessing red warders. I'm guessing that doesn't help the uh, man hating reputation. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. So, yeah, they uh, they are one of the only ajas, as far as I know, that flat out has no warders. Now okay. there are definitely one other ajas that have less, but they're the only ones I know of that have zero warders. Um. So moving on past them, uh, we will hit the green Aja. Okay. So uh, the green Aja is kind of, in a lot of ways, the polar opposite of the Reds, but at the same time also closely linked with the Reds' purpose. Um, So the the green Aja is also referred to by many people as the battle Aja or the war Aja. they are the Aja that is supposed to be uh, the Aes Sedai that are working and preparing for the last battle. Uh, they are 
the second largest, right after the Reds. Okay. Uh, they are also the ones who have the most warders. Uh, it is very common for one green sister to have multiple warders. Um, okay. Sometimes as many as three or four. Um, it's typically encouraged that they have more than one. Uh, their purpose is to, try, like I said, to prepare for the last battle and be there to fight the shadow. So they focus primarily on that, on uh, being ready to fight and to uh, stand up. Uh, interesting little fact, a lot of times uh, the Green Sisters, as opposed to the Red, who are known as basically man-haters, the Greens uh, typically are a lot more um, promiscuous. I guess is the best way of putting it. Okay. Uh, it is okay. not not uncommon for a green sister to be in a relationship with at least one of her warders, uh, or if they only have one, a lot of times they could be married to their warder. Okay. Um, so as opposed to the reds that hate men, the greens tend to actually embrace uh, men and enjoy, uh, you know, normal life and relations with men. So. So, yeah, in that way, they would be polar opposites. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, Any questions about them? Nope. Who's next? Uh, we will hit one of the ones uh, we... Let's see. Let's go with the brown next. All uh, right. So, this is our friend Varen. Yes. Uh, and uh, so, the brown Aja focuses... Their cause is the gathering and the preservation of knowledge. Uh, so they are fourth largest in size. Um, they are also... So interesting thing with the Browns is most of the... You have Browns that will actively go out into the world to seek knowledge. And you mm -hmm. have some that basically stay at the tower for the entire exi their entire existence, okay. working as librarians and historians, that kind of thing. Um, e typically speaking, each brown sister, when they, be when they are raised to sisterhood, will choose an area and make that their focus. Um, so it's like basically like choosing their field of study. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the academics. Yep. They're, they're the academics so. of the White Tower, even to the point of it, it's not just general knowledge, but very specialized knowledge, It's Correct. it sounds like. Yeah, yeah now, each I, sister would pick, while they would all be general lovers of knowledge, they each have their own little domain where they focus in and just try and like make a study of it. Yeah, well, kind of like, you know, higher education, like college, master's. PhD level, yep. you know, you, you get, you, you get more specialized as you go, <laughs> as you go to each yeah. level through that. Um, I, I yeah. seem to remember, um, one of the sisters that Moraine visited that were working on like a history of the world. One of them Correct. was Brown, wasn't she? Yes. Okay. That's what uh, I, the I one thought. We didn't actually get to meet was right. Brown. And the one uh, we did, she so, was green. 
Correct. Okay. It's it's sometimes yeah. it's hard keeping it straight. There's we've already got yeah. so many characters, <laughs> and some of them we've yep. only spent a brief amount of time with. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Browns a lot of times can be characteristically seen as very detached from the world. Okay, yeah. Um, they have a reputation of kind of being stuck in their own heads a lot of times, not paying attention to what's happening. It would not be uncommon for a brown sister to have secluded herself somewhere in the tower and not really checked on world events for like a decade and just oh, wow. studied okay. the entire time. Yeah. Like that's that's completely something that would ha- a brown would do. Like they are very – now that's not every brown, but they yeah. have a reputation for being very – Stuck in their stuck in the past, you know, concerned with knowledge, not really being present. No, no, nose in, in a book. Nose in a book all yeah. the time. Yeah. Uh, so the, the that is early their reputation. The the early, you know, Her- Hermione Granger from the early books, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. uh, okay. Uh, I I feel like. I guess I, I kind of feel an affinity for the brown Aja because I, I'm, I, I guess I consider myself a bit of an academic and interested in, you know, growing knowledge and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I have a lot of respect I, for the brown Aja. Yeah. I'm, I'm not cut off from the world though. So <laughs> it might seem that way <laughs> yeah. sometimes, but. Uh, yeah, I have a, I have a lot of respect for the Brown Aja. Um, a lot of times they get kind of a, I guess a bad rap because they aren't actively working a lot of times. Yeah. But there's a lot to be said for these people who decide that the past is worth remembering and like learning from, as opposed to too many Aes Sedai in a lot of these Ajas are so consumed with what's happening at present that they miss things. Whereas a brown sister is, is the opposite problem. <laughs> they might have all the answers and never notice that anybody needs them because they're too consumed with finding them. So, uh, so, so pay attention in history class kids. Yep. History is important. Yeah. Sorry. Or else I just, you'll repeat it. I just had, I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> All I agree right. completely. Yeah, let's uh well I, I you know devoted like four years of my life to studying it. So uh anyway, uh moving on. Uh what we got next? Uh next let's do the Greys. So we haven't okay. seen any Grey sisters yet. Um so this is the third largest Aja. Uh so so far we have red, green, then gray and brown. Uh so the greys are the political savvy. So these would be your diplomats. They are the ones that are constantly concerned in pulling the strings of the nations. The gray sisters are a lot of the reason why the Aes Sedai have the reputation they do with the nobles and kings is because they are the ones who are meddling in the affairs of other countries. They are the, Interesting. the ones who... Uh, are working to try and shape the political uh, structures of the world and working to, like, if two countries go to war and the White Tower wants that war to be put to a stop, 
the Gray Sisters are the ones they send to go and negotiate between the two countries and things like that. Okay. Uh, okay. So they can be like. So that is. They they can be like diplomats, ambassadors, mediators. Correct. You know. Yep. Things things like that. A little bit of like United Nations kind of <laughs> situation yeah. going on there. Okay. Interesting. Yep. And, and like so you that, said, we haven't. That is pretty much the main focus of them. Yeah, we haven't met any gray sisters yet. So, and nope. you know, and we all know that I've read a little bit further than where we are, and I don't have much memory from what I've read of any gray sisters. Um, now that may change. Of course, we know I don't remember anything, uh, and yeah. that may change in in later books. But I, I don't really recall any playing a larger role i guess in what i have read but i'm i'm you know i'm probably going to be proven wrong that you know i just forgot about it so uh so there are some that will pop up as we go through the series um however because of where most of our pov is spent we don't have a ton of interaction with them uh okay. because they are going to be working in places that we're not necessarily visiting, yeah. like in the courts of kingdoms, things like that. Uh, so while we will sometimes see them, um, I can't off the top of my head name one off the top of my head. They are more of a working in the background kind of group um, as opposed to some of these more dynamic people that are uh, – you know, the the Aes Sedai who seem to get talked about the most are the ones that uh, tend to make the most trouble. <laughs> okay. And well, the fact the Greys the fact, are not that. Yeah, the fact that you can't name any Grey Aja right off the bat or right off your head makes me feel a little bit better about not remembering any from what I have read. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, no, they're like they are definitely present, and there are gray sisters that will pop up and yeah. do things, but they are not. I cannot name any like named gray sisters off the top of my head, just out of okay. memory. Uh, now watch like page one of the next book. There's going to be a gray sister <laughs> named. Uh, yeah. Now, like I said, there will definitely be some that will pop up. Uh, especially right. as we get later into the series. Right. Um, but especially in these first five or six books, we don't see a lot from them. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. That's four that we've done now. So. Yep. I we have three left. Got three more. Who's next? Yep. Um, let's go with the white next. The other one that we haven't seen yet. Uh, so these ones are a bit of an odd duck. Um, they are known, like their focus is on logic and philosophy. Okay. Uh, they are the smallest of all the Ajas. Okay. Uh, and uh, have very little direct impact on the current day-to-day -day affairs of things. Uh, as far as we know, they're one of the only Ajas that doesn't have basically an eyes and ears network. Like one thing you'll learn uh, going forward in the series is that a lot of these Ajas will employ everyday average 
people to kind of feed them information on what's happening in the different countries. Mm-hmm. The whites don't really do that. Um, okay. They're not really concerned with the day-to-day goings-on. Uh, they can be a lot more aloof. Um, they almost, to me, remind me of, uh, if, if anybody listening is a Star Trek fan, the whites remind me of Vulcans. So, okay, <laughs> an, Aja so were, uh, an Aja of Spocks. <laughs> I was going uh, to say, if, if Spock were an Aes Sedai, he would be white. Yeah. So, uh, they can just be very, they're very, a lot of them are seen to be very intelligent, uh, but very aloof. They spend a lot of their time just thinking and philosophizing and not really, uh, a lot else. Not, not really getting involved per se. Right. Okay. All right. So. They they're try asking, to stand a part of the conflicts and yeah, such. They're asking the questions, but are they giving any answers? <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Okay. Yeah. And we haven't met any white sisters yet. Not yet. Okay. I do know if it, uh, there there is there are some that I can remember going forward, but yeah. Um. That's for another episode. <laughs> yep. All right. Moving right along. All right. So we have two Ajas left. Uh, and I'm saving one for last. So okay. we will go with the yellow next. All right. Uh, so the yellows focus on healing. Uh, so they are the fifth largest. Uh, they spend their time working in hospitals, uh, healing those that come to the tower, okay. uh, focusing on learning new types of healing, uh, how to heal different ma- maladies and illnesses. Uh, they are consumed with using the power to better others by healing and medicine. Okay. So. All right. And and we would say this is a situation that, you know, it's not that other Aes Sedai don't engage in healing but yellow Aja specializes in it. Correct. Yeah. Uh, while almost all sisters would have some, even if just tiny flicker of ability with healing, like Moraine's pretty good, but she says that she's not skilled at it at all. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen what she can do. Um, so, so if Mor- if Moraine yellows, is not... Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, if Moraine is not that skilled, I I can only imagine what a yellow could do. Yeah. So, the yellow sisters, and it's more than just being good at healing, because that's definitely part of it, is like those that are naturally talented with the weaves that go towards healing. Yeah. Uh, But it's also, it's a type of mindset. Um, Yellows typically don't like violence. They would rather find ways okay. to uh, avoid hurting other people when possible. Uh, they focus on trying to use the power to do good as opposed to like the greens who are working to learn how to use it as a weapon. Right. The yellows want to be there to heal the hurts as opposed to do damage. Um, so it's a different way of thinking than a lot of the other Ajas. Okay. Okay. But I will say, and 
this is just my personal opinion. I think some of the uh, more skilled Aes Sedai, I don't say most powerful, but I think some of the most skilled Aes Sedai come from the yellow. Okay. Because a lot of the healing weaves and stuff require more delicate work. Um, and so in my opinion, that tends to breed sisters who are more skilled with complicated weaves. All right. Like I said, that's just my opinion, though. Yeah. That's not necessarily like something that's quoted in the book, but that's just something I, as I've read it. I tend to notice that about the yellows. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, I guess that just leaves one, right? Well, yes and no. Well, uh, we okay. do have uh, one eight one <laughs> one that uh, we're going to talk about. <laughs> we all know yeah. about that other uh, one, and we'll talk yeah. about them so, plenty going forward. Sure. So, yeah, our last one to speak of today is the Blue Aja. This, of course, is the one we've had the most experience with. Right. Uh, but for a lot of people at this point, we still have a lot of questions because <laughs> Moraine is an example of the blue. But really, what you know, what is the blue? Because Moraine doesn't necessarily give us a direct answer. Sure. Because Egwene asks, and she's not really giving giving answers there. Um, <laughs> and and we spent the blue. You know, after after we spent almost all of book one with her, she's she's barely in this book. So. You know, where we might have yeah. hoped we would have gotten some of those questions answered. All of a sudden, Moraine's not there for the most part. So yeah. it, that, that adds to it. But anyway, uh, tell us about the Blue Aja. So the Blue Aja uh, is the sixth largest. So they are only bigger than the white. Okay. Uh, so they're not a big Aja, uh, but they are the Aja that is focused on righteousness, justice, and lost causes. <laughs> uh, and I say lost causes. They would say causes in general, but I say lost causes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, they are the ones who are going to be meddling in the world. Uh, they are the most active in trying to influence things. Um, and most of what they're trying to manipulate and influence has to do with fighting the shadow and working towards fulfilling prophecies, uh, seeing the seeing good actively sought and prevailing in the world. Um, okay. So they butt heads a lot of times with the Reds because they have very different views on how things should be handled. Uh, but they are the ones, a lot of times, secretly pulling the strings in countries and in throughout the world to try and move the world closer to the light and farther from the shadow. They're the ones who would see themselves as actively being at war with the shadow, even while most of the world thinks the dark one is just locked away. Okay. Um, despite the greens having the name of the battle Aja. Right. Uh, blues are a lot of times seen as manipulators. <laughs> uh, they don't always have the best reputation amongst their sisters. Because they tend to, because of them having such a strong sense of justice and right, they can sometimes take up the man, the idea that their way is the only right way. And so they will trample over other people or their plans will always supersede the plans that another sister may have had going for over a decade. 
Like they they can butt heads and be a little bit uh thorny when it comes to dealing with their sisters sometimes. <laughs> I can I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um uh, yeah, okay. so they don't have the best reputation. Um a lot of really powerful Aes Sedai have come from the blue. A lot of Omerlins have come from the blue. Yeah. Uh so despite it being of small size, uh the blue Aja is is pretty powerful. Okay. Now I I, I want to I I hope this isn't spoiler territory because I think we covered it in book two, but um the current Omerlin came from the Blue Aja, mm-hmm. correct? She like, did, yes. I, I know that's correct. I was just I I, I hope we've already covered yeah. that. I think it was in this book. Um, so the Omerlin is an interesting situation, despite the fact that she came from the blue, um, she, the Omerlin is not supposed to be of any Aja while she right. is Omerlin. Right. When she becomes Omerlin, she's supposed to cut all those ties and she is of all Ajas at that point. But, uh, yes, Swan did come from the blue. Right. And, and that, that I guess kind of ties into my follow-up question, um, if it can be answered, if it can be answered spoiler-free, especially, uh, I, I know the the situation with the Omerlin is kind of unique, but is it possible for an Aes Sedai to change her Aja later on? Like I'm assuming they choose when they're raised from accepted. Yes, but so- knowing that they live a Long time, it seems, longer than average people. Is there any possibility of changing? Uh, and obviously we know about the Black Aja, too. I mean, I guess that would technically be a, a change. But within the official, you know, organization yeah. of the Tower, is there any precedent so, for that kind of thing happening? So the short answer is No. Okay. Um, so when you are raised to, to full sisterhood from accepted, your Aja is chosen then. You choose yeah. your Aja. Right. You have to be accepted by that Aja. It's not just like you pick and you get in automatically. Oh, okay. That Aja has to want you. Okay. Uh, you have to go through uh, a, being approved by the leader of that Aja. Um, but once you are a part of an Aja, you are that Aja for life. Okay. Uh, there are only three ways to leave an Aja. Death, stilling, or being raised to the Omerlin. Okay. All right. So that was if just, you die, you're not... Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, that if was just If you die, a, you're not, not in that anymore. Yeah. I mean, that was just a, a curiosity of mine, you know, if, if anything like that could, could happen. I, I didn't... I didn't know. Yeah. Um, thought it'd be interesting if maybe it could, but yeah, it is not unheard of for a sister to still be technically of one Aja, but to act more in line with the principles of another. Okay. Like we saw that in this book with, uh, the, the sisters. Yeah. Uh, Okay. We have a green there who was basically living more like a Brown. Right. Right. Uh, but what that she is still a green. He still reports to the head of the Green Aja 
Okay. She is still in subjection to them as opposed to she's not suddenly a brown. Um, so that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Allegiances and, you know, personalities can shift, but who you, who you directly report to, who you serve, that can't change. Okay. All right. That makes sense. I, I'm, I, I like that answer. Okay. So let's move on to another topic. Uh, we spent a lot of time with the Ajas. We're uh, <laughs> uh, pretty well versed in that subject now, but let's move on to um, another element that we're introduced to in book two, and that would be the portal stones. And sure, you know, obviously these are very ancient. Um. I'm kind of curious as to how old they are exactly, but something that stood out to me that I really want, I wondered if there was an answer for is in the true world, uh, these portal stones seem to be almost in disrepair. Like and some of them aren't even barely are barely recognizable for what they are. But then when we go to the mirror world, when Rand is with um, Huron and Loyal, where we meet Celine, these things look like they're, they're, they were made yesterday. So, I don't know, is, is it the, just the passage of time in the real world? Is it just a characteristic of the mirror world, or is it some other factor why does there seem to be a discrepancy between the way they appear in one and the other? I mean, I know there are differences between the true world and the mirror world already. Is that, is that all it is or <laughs> what's going so, on with the portal stones or can you tell okay. me? <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's, I can talk about them quite a bit because what they are and where they come from isn't really spoilers to anything that happens in the series. Um, they're kind of just these fun things that popped up and may pop up again later, may not, I'm not going to say, but they're not like talking about them. Isn't going to spoil anything for anybody. Okay. Um, so first off, let's start with your first question. I think, which was how old are they? Sure. And where do they come from? So, uh, we do not know exactly where they come from or how old they are. We do know that they were ancient in the time of the Age of Legends. Okay, well, that helps a little bit. Yeah, they were not something that the people in the Age of Legends created. They were something they found and learned some of the use of. And I say some... Because even the people in the Age of Legends didn't really understand all that they could do or how to work them. Okay. Uh, so, and some of the stuff that the people in the Age of Legends learned to do was based off the study of the Portal Stones, which is kind of interesting. They are these ancient objects that at some point or another were placed throughout the world. Um, some theories amongst fans think that they could have been placed there by... Visitors from other worlds, um, other entities, or they could have been there from the very beginning. Um, the reason, and 
you talk about them being in disrepair in the true world. Yeah. Uh, the re the reason that that is the case for the most part has to do with the breaking. So the portal stones were all erect and in their proper place before the world was torn asunder. That makes sense. When that happened, some of them got knocked over. Some of them got broken. Some of them ended up at the bottom of the ocean. Okay. All kinds of things. Okay. Uh, The ones that you see in the true world, the reason that they look so old as opposed to in the mirror worlds. Okay. That was another part of your question. The ones in the true world have been experiencing the passage of time from a very long time. Yeah. So that's why you see some of them are very worn down, where it's hard to read some of the symbols. They're ancient. What you have to consider is the mirror worlds are not true worlds, especially when it comes to the flow of time. Right. Uh, most, Most of the mirror worlds are relatively new. They are fleeting. Uh, those worlds are created at basically any when a, a decision point, uh, if you think about multiverse theory. Okay. So a mirror world is created when a large enough decision happens that it would impact the world's flow, and so a mirror world is created. Okay. So most mirror worlds are going to be relatively new, and they're going to cease to exist after a certain amount of time. The wheel is not going to keep spinning in those worlds. So most mirror worlds are relatively new. So the portal stones that are mirrored there look brand new because they are brand new. Okay. Okay. And they don't, most of those mirror worlds, there are a few exceptions, but most of the mirror worlds don't exist long enough for their portal stones to ever experience the passage of time like in the real world. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, that yeah, that's 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 exactly what I was wondering, and especially with the you know the passage of time, if that was a factor. Um, so appreciate appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, um, the portal stones are interesting. It, in theory, you could use them in several different ways. Um, Rand inadvertently uses them in a couple different ways, not only to jump to a mirror world, uses them to right. travel within our world. Right. He uses it in a form of time travel, although to his severe detriment. Yeah, and, and uh, but definitely, theoretic- definitely yeah. inadvertently. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they are very powerful objects that we honestly, especially in the Third Age, know next to nothing about. Okay. Um, the people who would know more about it are long dead or turned to the shadow. I uh, got you. Got you. So. So. Uh, maybe maybe more, more answers to come. Yeah. It's also <laughs> completely possible that because of the cyclical nature of the Wheel of Time, it is completely possible that the portal stones are created by an age that has not yet happened in this turn of the world. Oh, see, now my head's hurting. <laughs> uh. So they could be objects that were created by people who haven't happened yet, yet they were around when the wheel came back around. So, okay. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> now, now my head hurts. Um, <laughs> but since you mentioned the cyclical nature of time in this world, that's going to bring up my third question. And that has to do with something we heard about very briefly in that moment when Moraine was visiting the the other two the two sisters that we've we've talked about a little bit already. She stepped outside for a few minutes and was attacked by a drakkar. And there was yep. something mentioned about if the drakkar had kissed her. I'm going to call it the Drakkar's kiss, not, not, not the Dementor's kiss, but the ideas are actually quite similar that it would uh, take her soul. Yeah. And, you know, she would, her, her body would be an empty shell um, of a, without a soul. And I think... I think we've maybe gotten some clues about that kind of thing possibly happening in the ways as well. So my question is, if someone were to lose their soul, maybe if their soul were to be destroyed, we know that there is a cycle of rebirth in this world that's connected to the wheel. But if your soul is destroyed, does that mean that cycle ends for you? Would would would, would, would suffering the the Drakkar's kiss remove you from that cycle of rebirth? Okay, so um, there's a couple layers to this. Uh, I'm just to just a where couple. Best to start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I have to be careful because there's there's parts of it that we can't touch on yet. Okay. Um, not at least till the end of book three. Um, so I would say this. There is not a – as far as I can find, there is not a subjective yes or no answer from Robert Jordan. But based on where he draws his influences, what is in the books, and – uh, the cultures that he based a lot of how time works and the cyclical nature of things on. Uh, I would say, and this is again my opinion based on the information, I would say that within the wheel of time, souls cannot be destroyed. Okay. They can be twisted, they can be corrupted, but they cannot be destroyed outright. Okay. I don't see – I haven't found any reference to that, and I find a lot of evidence contrary to it. Okay. Um, now, what happens specifically here with the Drakkar? So they extract the soul from the living body if they are able to finish the feeding. Okay. If they don't, then the person is left kind of in an in-between state that honestly is kind of worse. Um, but if they are able to – to fully feed on a person, they consume that person's soul. The key is there that that soul is consumed, it isn't destroyed. Okay. Uh, so the soul is no longer in the body that it was put into when it was spun out, but the soul, soul still exists. Okay. So when somebody dies in the, in the wheel, think of it as, as weaving a tapestry. 
So you're weaving the age. Uh, in that age, when a person dies, think of their thread as being snipped. Okay? okay. So they stop. That doesn't mean that their thread is yanked out of the pattern and never existed. It's just stopping there and a new thread is woven into the, to complete the tapestry. Okay. When the age resets and the next age comes, that thread will then be rewoven into the pattern. So when that soul is consumed by the drat car, the drat car feeds on it and the soul is consumed it dies and it can't come back into play in this age. In the next age, when the new pattern is being woven, it will be woven back in. Okay. All right. Um, so, okay. Now there, there are some exceptions to this. Okay. Uh, so there are, you mentioned, uh, the ways, uh, the ways is very much akin to what happens here. Yeah. Mashadar uh, consumes just like the Drakkar. Okay. However, there is a bit of a difference in Shadar Logoth uh, with uh, Mashin Shen. Uh, sorry, not, I'm getting them switched around, aren't I? Ma- Mashin Shen is in the ways. Mashadar is in Shadar Logoth. Yeah, Mashadar. Yeah. Okay, so Mashin Shen works very much like the Drakkar's kiss. Okay. The soul was consumed by that corruption. Mashadar uh, is different in that the souls that it consumes are then consumed and absorbed into it. And that soul becomes a part of okay. that force that lives in Shadar Logoth. Okay. So those souls wouldn't stop. They would continue on they- as a part of that. Yeah. So the, they're they're Cracked, corrupted. Basically. They're they're corrupted. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now the and th- this is just a bit of a follow up. Does the is the cycle of rebirth is it just like from an age to age thing, or could someone's you know like somebody who died like a thousand or two thousand years ago in the third age? be reborn in the current time or does it, do they have to wait until like the fourth age? So yes and no. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it is, it is up to the wheel. Um, okay. Now there are so, things rebirth can happen more quickly. Okay. Um, typically speaking, it'd be once per age, but okay. there are certain threads that the pattern will try and weave in uh, basically, the way I like to think of it, and some people will go with this and some not, think of the wheel as like a limited AI. So at the beginning of each age, as events happen and in the pattern, there are specific threads that it will try and weave in to alter and shape events. All right. Uh, so depending on when those events happen, things will take shape faster. Like the dragon, for instance, let's, let's use him. He's easy to, to get. So when the age needs a dragon, it's going to spin out a dragon until the real dragon shows up. We're getting all these false dragons because the pattern is trying to fill that need that's there. Um, typically speaking, you're going to get one dragon per age. You could theoretically 
if you had the third age began, the dragon was reborn and died before any event ever needed him, then you could technically have him reborn again in the same age. Although some would argue that the age is defined by his rebirth. So okay. whether or not okay. there's another age. So there's all kinds of things there. But uh, no, the rebirth cycle is basically dependent on the need of the wheel at the time. Okay. Um, typically speaking, there's a pretty good gap between rebirth. Right. But it doesn't specifically have to do that. Okay. I will say this, however, there are some things that can happen to a soul that would put it outside the reach of rebirth until a full turning of the wheel happens. Okay. So what that means is there are conceivably nine ages. A turning of the wheel is when you go all the way from the first age to the ninth. Yeah. And then the wheel resets. Okay. There are some things that can happen to a soul that would put it outside of the cycle of rebirth until the next turning. Okay. Well, I can't say what those are yet because yeah. we haven't gotten to that. But yeah, there well, are some things that can knock you out of the cycle of rebirth, but it is not permanent. Okay. Did you say? Did Although you say in the scheme of say? Did you say nine ages? I believe so. Am I wrong on that? I might have got. I was always mixed up. I thought I was always thinking it was seven. You might be right. I, I'm going to check it real quick. I may have misspoke. Well, while you're looking at that, what what I'm getting from from what you're describing is you're if, right. If, it's seven. Okay. If if one of those happen, we're in the third age now. If one of those things happened to a soul in this third age, they would have to wait till the next third age or just the next, the next first age, first age of the next cycle. Okay. So, so until, uh, okay. It's, it's, it's clear in my, in my mind. I get, I get it. (laughs) I think. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, fantastic. Uh, that was very informative. Uh, And uh, my head's still wrapping around a couple of things, but uh, man, I, I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed your insight, your uh, knowledge, uh, just as we did, just as we did last season. I really enjoyed that. And I will and, say that uh, every, all things I've said tonight are based on my research and my own personal opinions. By all means, anybody out there, if you have a different opinion, let me know. You can always shoot me an email. I'd love to hear other people's thoughts. Uh, this is by no means what I say is not law. I didn't write the books. I'm not Robert Jordan. I'm not Brandon Sanderson. This is just a fan's opinion. So take it for what it is. <laughs> just wanted well, to throw I, that out there. Don't want anybody I, I, to think I'm trying to say this is the hard and fast. <laughs> yeah. I take it for a lot. So <laughs> I, I trust your, your insight, but uh, you know, I'm sure there are other, I know there are other people who have other ideas, other theories. So, um, just like he said, yeah, we'd love to hear them uh, more like he would love to hear them. Cause I'm probably not going to know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you don't give yourself enough credit. Uh, uh, you know, I, I do the best I can, but like, as we've established, I never remember anything. I mean, the end of the last book, I completely forgot that, uh, Lord Turok had been killed. One chapter later. <laughs> so, um, 
Well, man, this has been great. I have enjoyed it for sure. And what can I say except thank you? Uh, hey, I just I'm thrilled and enjoying every second of getting to just talk about this stuff because for years and years it was just me talking about it in my own head to myself. So <laughs> I'm happy to to get to chat with somebody about it. Uh, see now now we've got this uh, this chance to talk about it. Well, I do appreciate you uh, doing the doing the work, doing the research, um, loving this series so much to be able to share those thoughts with us. So uh, listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. You got anything, any last thing to say, any final thoughts to share with us? Um, no, just, uh, I will say uh, for our listeners, I know we tried to uh, reach out to y'all through some social media, but keep in mind going into next season uh, at any point during that season, if you have any questions that you think of, please submit them. Uh, we'd love next time we do this to get to work some of y'all's questions in, uh, answer, and they can be book related, or if you have questions for us about the show, um, we'd be happy to answer most of that within reason. Um, but please, uh, submit, let us know what you're thinking. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, especially going into, uh, season three and, uh, you know, building up for another bonus episode when we get to the end of there. And, and I know we've both talked about, you know, trying to be a little bit more active on social media. I know we've we've done a little bit in these first two seasons, but I know we could do a little bit more. So hopefully we can do that and have more interaction with you, our listeners, uh, because we want to have that interaction. We enjoy having this discussion just amongst ourselves, but we also enjoy doing this as a podcast, putting it out there on the Internet so that other people can join in as well. So uh, we do want to have that interaction and uh, want you to reach out to us on those social media sites. All of those, of course, I know you've heard us say them before, but we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, email. You can email us at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. All of that information is in the show notes of every episode where you can reach out to us and please do. Uh, we definitely want to have that interaction. Um, new episodes are released every Tuesday and that of course gives us opportunity. Uh, I guess not every Tuesday because we're going to take a bit of a break, <laughs> uh, with the end of this season. Uh, we did the same thing at the end of season one and I think we're going to do this for every season, but, uh, we're going to take a few weeks off. Uh, so maybe, you know, gives us a little bit of break. Maybe anybody who is new gives them time to get a little bit caught up. But uh, as we're recording, the plan, if you're listening to this in real time, uh, I think this should be releasing on October 11th, 2022. Uh, The plan to resume for season three is November 1st of 2022. So about a two or three week uh, hiatus, but we will be back. We promise. And, uh, we'll actually be going ahead and getting some recordings done during that time. So we can be a little bit of he- bit, a little bit ahead. Um, but we want you to come back and be with us there, uh, at the beginning of season three, as we start a new book 
book three of the Wheel of Time, The Dragon Reborn. And uh, with that, the first episode of that season, we will be covering the prologue and the first two chapters of book three. So we hope you will come back and be with us when we uh, release the new season, November 1st, on a Tuesday, as we always do, and that you'll join us for another adventure in the world of the Wheel of Time. Uh, with that, Stephen, you got anything else to say? No, uh, I hope everybody is enjoying this ride as much as we are. Uh, we're just thrilled to get to sit down and chat with each other about it. And uh, it's just a, a great bonus that you guys want to hear it. So yep. uh, just excited to continue going for you guys and uh, hopefully get more and more people listening to the show and uh, keep building as we go because there there's still go. a whole lot of books left. All right. Um, no White Cloaks, no Sean Chan in this episode. Nope. So we'll count that as a good thing and we'll we'll, we'll leave on, on, on a good note. That we didn't have to talk about those yep. that those two groups in this episode. So with that, uh, I think yeah, we'll and say no Narg either. Uh still still <laughs> no Narg. Um, Narg's going to show up again. <laughs> I'm holding on to that for <laughs> Michelle. Um. Uh, anyway, all right, listeners, thank you so much for being with us once again. We hope you'll come back for our next episode, the beginning of season three in just a few weeks we'll see you then have a great week everybody see you folks